Well, good morning, church. Man, I love our video announcements. I never know what's gonna be said, who's gonna pop out where. Can we give it up for Cam and his team doing this every week? So thankful for their desire to do things with excellence. And uh, I can't wait to jump into part two of a teaching series that we're called Joyful. And we're taking 12 weeks to go through the book of Philippians. And I just believe that God has a powerful word for us today. Come on, you got faith to believe that today? Amen. So we're gonna pray together and we're gonna dive right on into what God has for us. God, we thank you. Lord, we've just enjoyed your presence during worship. And God, now we're hungry for your voice during your word. We wanna hear from you. Come on, make that your prayer this morning. God, we wanna hear from you. We thank you that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, God. That not just when we hear it, but when we heed it, and our faith meets it with obedience, you begin to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. God, whatever you want to do in my life right now, my answer is yes. Come on, tell them. Speak to me, God. Have your way in me. Have your way in me. Jesus, you're the one it's all for. It's all about you. So right now, as we study your word, God, we study from a posture of humility and dependency and hunger and a deep conviction in our spirits, God, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about you. Remove the distractions. Come on, if you're joining us online, right there where you are, God, I lay down every distraction. I want to meet with you, Jesus. God, we love you. We honor you. We celebrate you. And we ask this in the matchless and all-powerful name of Jesus Christ. Come on. And if you're in agreement, let's give God praise. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Give him real praise. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. Part two of this series called Joyful, and we're going through the book of Philippians. If you were with us last week, I gave us an introduction to this book, and if you missed that, I want to encourage you, go to our website, get caught up, but I'm going to give you a nutshell version as we launch into where we're going today. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter, and we learned last week that the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. It was highly patriotic. They believed that they were kind of the king of the hill. And now Paul comes preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he preaches that there is one king. His name is Jesus. And so you can imagine the spiritual resistance that he's facing. And so he ends up in prison. And it's in prison that he wants to write these group of believers called the Philippians at the church of Philippi. He wants to write them two things. He wants to thank them for their faithfulness in the gospel, but he also wants to encourage them to keep going. And last week we said, here's what's so unique about this letter, that it's not one main topic, it's actually a series of topics that scholars call essays, 
Uh, but we're going to call them challenges for the next 12 weeks. Paul gives us a bunch of challenges for what it means to really follow Jesus. And here's what's interesting. All of the challenges that Paul gives us actually revolve around a poem that Paul wrote in chapter two called the Messiah poem. And here's the purpose of the poem, to remind us of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Who Jesus is And this is what Jesus did. He wants us to have a very clear picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus did so that we can answer this question for ourselves. And I want you to write it down. We're going to look at it every week. And here's the question. Will you fully follow Jesus by joyfully obeying his example? That's the entire purpose of this letter. Will I fully follow Jesus by joyfully obeying his example. In light of who he is and what he did, will I go all in with Christ? How many know there's a big difference between following Jesus and fully following Jesus? Amen? How many know there's a big difference between obedience and joyful obedience? Those are two different things. Paul goes, hey, I know that you want to follow Jesus, So I'm going to give you a bunch of challenges for what it means to follow Jesus, but in light of who Jesus is and what he did, will you fully follow him by joyfully obeying his example? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Last week, we talked about Philippians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and we also covered chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Today, we're going to cover chapter 1, starting in verse 3. If you're there, come on, say, I'm there. If you're excited, say, amen. Amen. Here we go. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. You're going to see that word repeatedly throughout this letter. He constantly talks about joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart and you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And all of this, Paul wants us to remember, is for the glory and praise of God. Now, I know it's a mouthful. There's a lot there. We're going to break it down together. But we've entitled this series, Joyful. And Paul is telling us what joyful people do. Three things that joyful people do. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, come on, somebody, write it down. Here we are. Joyful people value relationships. 
Paul is saying joyful people understand their need for other joyful people in their lives. Look again at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer. Notice that, not some prayers. Every time I pray, I am thanking God for you. Why? Because you helped make my prayer with joy. How did we do that? Notice this. Because of your what? Come on, say it like you're excited to be in church today. Come on, say partnership. In the gospel from the first day until now. Paul goes, let me just tell you, I value relationships. I value your faithfulness. I can't do this without you. And he uses the word partnership. And in the Greek, it actually better translates to the word fellowship. And here's why, because it's the Greek word koinonia. And this is beyond relationship. It's beyond friendship. It is what two believers can experience because of what the blood of Jesus purchased. Where is Paul when he's writing this? He's in prison. What Paul is literally saying when he's thanking God for the fellowship that he has with these believers, he's saying, hey, I'm here, but I'm not here by myself. Because we're in Christ, it's like you're here with me. When I'm in the valley, it's like you're here with me. When I'm going through hardship and persecution, I'm not alone. Why? Because we have this koinonia because of what the blood of Christ purchased. How many of you know we were not created to do life alone? Amen? We need to understand the value of relationships in our lives. Let me give you the translation. Here's what Paul is saying. Thank God that I'm not alone. Thank God that I don't have to experience this prison by myself. No, I've got fellowship with other believers. And notice what he says, from this day until now. Come on, we don't just need people on good days. How many of you know we need people on difficult days? We we need people when our marriages are struggling. We need people when we don't know how to raise our kids in truth. We need people when we're struggling with addictions. We need people when we're stumbling. We need to be surrounded by godly people. And I know it's a Christian cliche. Here it is. We're better together. Here's what I want you to know. That together is not just better. Together is God's answer for man's problem. It's actually God's answer for man's problem. You remember what God said in Genesis after he created Adam. Look at this, chapter two, verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. Listen, this is the first time in the, in the narrative of scripture where God said something isn't good. He's not saying that Adam isn't good. He's saying it is not good for Adam to be alone. And so we know he creates a helpmate, Eve, and it's this idea of marriage. But how many of you know, it's not just for marriage people. Even if you're single, you've got this koinonia in the family of God. The Bible says that he puts the lonely in families. Why does he put us all in families? Because we need each other. We need to understand the value of relationship. I need a much better amen. Amen. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother, listen, or a sister in Christ is born for adversity. This is where Paul is. He's in a season of adversity. He's in prison. 
There's the prospect of him giving his life for the sake of the gospel and being put to death. And as he's praying to God, he is overwhelmed with joy by the people that God has placed in his life. Why? Because in relationship, there's safety, there's comfort, there's strength, there's accountability, there's blessing. Come on, how many of you know we could keep going and building this list? How many are thankful that God puts the lonely in families? Amen? He puts the lonely in families. So Commercial, here we go. I want to remind you, this is why we do groups. I got one, yeah. I need at least four to keep preaching. Come on, somebody. Like, this is why we do groups. Ladies, can I just say, y'all are killing it. Almost all of the lady groups are already full. Come on, like, that's amazing. Dudes, Come on, we got some work to do. There's still lots of opportunity. Guys, let me just tell you, some of you, you're surrounded by people that aren't following Jesus, and even though you're surrounded by people, you feel completely alone. This is why we have groups. You say, yeah, but I'm not an emotional guy. I don't know how to really talk to other guys. Yes, you do. You watch a football game, you know how to talk just fine. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Words just start coming out of your mouth. It's a miracle. Yeah, but there's going to be weird people there. Yeah, because you're going to be there, and all of us are a little bit weird. Can we just get an amen? amen. But we need each other. We need each other. How many of you really want to follow Jesus? Let's see. Online, how many of you want to follow Jesus? How many of you want to fully follow Jesus? Okay, write it down. To, jo- to follow to Jesus fully, we must be in community. We must be in community. I want you to think about this for a second. Where was Paul? He was alone. Where was Paul? He's in prison. Think about this. Look at the spiritual picture. He's physically bound, but because of godly relationships, he's spiritually free. He's physically bound, but because of godly relationships, he's spiritually free. I want you to know that there is spiritual freedom for you to experience regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've done. God wants to put you in the family of God so that you can experience freedom in Christ. Now give him praise. Come on, somebody. Come on, give him good praise. Here's the second thing joyful people do. Joyful people trust God's process. Oh, come on, somebody's gonna get stretched during this point. Trusting God's process. Paul continues, verse six, and I am sure. Somebody shout, sure. Come on, say it like you're excited to be in church. Say, sure. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul goes, not only am I sure that I need people in my life, but I'm also sure that the God I serve, Jesus Christ, is faithful. And he's not just a starting God, he's a finishing God. The work that he has begun in my life, he will bring it to completion. The word sure means faith that's fortified. Faith that's fortified. It's not just a little bit of faith. No, it's tested faith. 
How do they make metal strong? They put it in fire and they pound it and they temper it and suddenly you are left with a property that's stronger than what was there before the tempering. This is what happens to our faith. Paul goes, look, I'm going through some difficult times. I'm experiencing persecution, but I am sure I have got faith that is fortified that the God who began a good work in your life is faithful to bring that good work to completion, dot, 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 if you trust God's process. See, some of us are claiming promises, but we're not in the process of God. We want God to do something amazing in our lives, but we're not trusting God in the process. There are a lot of things that I don't have confidence about. I don't have confidence about my own goodness. I don't have confidence about my own abilities most of the time. I don't have confidence about my own wisdom. I don't have confidence about my own righteousness. I don't have confidence about my own character. But I do have confidence that God will complete what he started in my life as I stay true and trust God in the process. And the word that he uses is the word completion. What's he talking about? Complete what? See, Paul is actually wanting you and me to understand something that is rarely preached in the church today. And as a result of, not, of it not being taught, it's leading a lot of believers to confusion. We've got a lot of people who are found, but they're living lost lives. If you don't understand the whole work of salvation that God wants to do in your life, then you're gonna miss out on the fullness of the gospel of Jesus. So what is this work? It's actually three different works. There's a past work, a present work, and a future work. And I wanna give you this language and help explain it. Here's the first thing. It's the first work of grace and salvation. It's justification. And the word justification means to be justified or to be made right with. That, that you and I, when we called upon Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit entered us and rebirthed our spirit that was dead since birth because of sin. We were born again, and in that moment, we were justified. We were made right with God. I want you to write this down to help us understand it. We were, notice past tense, we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. If you're a Christian, if you are a born-again believer, you have experienced justification, you have experienced what it means to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Here's the problem. Most Christians stop there. Most Christians don't realize that there's more to the process. Here's the second part of the process. It's a word called sanctification. The word sanctification means to sanctify or to make holy. That once we're saved, God wants to transform us into the image of Jesus. So I was saved by grace through faith. I'm justified, 
But now I'm in this process of sanctification, which means what? Write it down. We are becoming like Jesus as we grow and follow him. Church, hear me out. Any gospel that says you can call upon the name of Jesus to be Lord and Savior and then to live the way you used to live before you called upon the name of Jesus and Lord and Savior, that is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would not recognize that gospel. Paul's like, I don't even know what that is. That's not the truth. The gospel of Jesus is to save us, pay attention, justification, so that it can change us, sanctification, where I become more like Jesus, day by day, decision by decision, challenge by challenge, persecution by persecution, moment by moment, I'm becoming like Jesus as I choose to follow him and grow in Christ. And then there's a third part, it's called glorification. Come on, this is good news for you and me. What, what does glorification mean? Write it down. We will be given new earthly bodies like Jesus' body. So here's the deal. If you're in Christ, you're saved. And sometimes this leads to confusion. Then why do I struggle so much? If I'm saved and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, how come I'm still tempted to do things that I know that dishonor God? Listen, that's true of me. That's true of you. And the reason why we're tempted, the reason why there's a part of us that wants the things of God and at the exact same time, there's a part of us that wants things that we know that aren't of God. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit working in us and that's also our flesh. And our flesh, our bodies, they're decaying. They're corrupting. They desire and crave things that are not of God. And this is what happens. We have so many people in the church, please hear me, saved, but living like they're not. Found, but living like they're lost. God says, I've got more for you. And I know that it is a struggle. I know that it is truly running with endurance. But there is going to come a day when I call you to heaven, I'm going to give you a brand new body and all the temptation, all the pain, all the brokenness, all the tears, all of the stuff is going to be gone. And you are going to experience what I originally created you to experience. And all of that stuff will be behind you and you'll get to experience my glory in a brand new way. How many are thankful for that promise? So this good work that Paul's talking about, here's what it means. This is the good work that God began in you. This is the good work that God is doing in you. And this is the good work that God will complete in you if you trust the process. I got some good news for you. God's not done with you. 
God's not done with your life. Some of you are like, yeah, but my marriage is struggling. God's not done with your life. But I'm dealing with this temptation or this bondage or this struggle. Yeah, God's not done with your life. Well, I'm struggling to know what it means to raise kids in truth. But God's not done with your life. But I'm going through something right now. God's not done with your life. How many are thankful that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion? Paul continues in verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of grace. Come on, you were saved by grace. God is gonna be faithful to bring it to completion. But you gotta trust the process. You gotta keep your eyes fixed on Jesus you got to keep running with perseverance. you got to stay close to this. You've got to stay constant in prayer. You need to surround yourself with others that will pick you up and take you to Jesus when you can't get there yourself. It's the process. How many of you want to fully follow Jesus? Come on. Okay, you need this next thing. We must be surrendered. That's all God asks of you and me. It's actually really simple. We make it complicated. God says, I only need one thing from you, surrender. If you surrender to me, I'll complete the process. I just need your daily surrender. Can we give Jesus some praise, church? Come on, if you know it's truth. Okay, so Paul, he starts off, right? He's thanking God for the relationships in his life, and then he's thanking God that God is faithful to bring to completion the work that God has started in his life, and now Paul flips the script and he starts to pray. In prison, not sure of what the future is gonna hold, he's praying for the Philippians, he's praying for you and me. And what you're going to notice is that this prayer is a three-part progression. And when you experience the first thing, then you can experience the second thing. When you experience the second thing, you can experience the third thing. And this is the process that we just talked about, but now in prayer form. Joyful people, I want you to write it down, become like Jesus. Joyful people who trust the process and value godly relationships, it is inevitable they become like Jesus. Now, Paul is about to close this section with a prayer. And he's saying, Christian, I want you to grow in three different ways. Here's the first thing he wants us to grow in. He wants us to grow in love. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What's interesting is that there are four different words Paul could have used for love. There's friendship love, parental love, romantic love, but he used the fourth love, which is actually God's love. It's the word agape. And Paul uses this word for love four times in the letter to the Philippians. I want you to grow in the love of God. And agape means two things. The first thing it means is this. It's the moral standard of God. 
That's what his agape, that agape love means, his moral standard. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The second thing that it means is selfless, sacrificial compassion. Paul goes, I want the love of God to change you so much that you begin to act like God. You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he's looking out to the crowds. Who are the crowds in this context? It's the Samaritans. It's the people that were looked down, were marginalized. The Jews didn't believe that they were even worthy of the gospel. They were at odds socially. And Jesus turns his gaze to a group of people that Jews were raised to hate. And he says, you see them? I want you to love them. When he looked out, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The love of God was moving in Jesus that when he saw people broken, lost, hurting, marginalized, hopeless, he had compassion on them. The reason he went to the cross is because of his love for you and me. Paul goes, I want you to grow in God's love. You know what happens when you grow in God's love? God's love grows in you. Suddenly you care about what Jesus cares about and you see what Jesus sees and you feel what Jesus feels. So here's what you're gonna understand. Everything Paul prays for, when you and I experience it, it empowers us to do something that we could not do on our own. In this case, write it down. God's love enables us to act like Jesus. God's love enables us to do what we could not do on our own. I want you to grow in love. Here's the second thing. I want you to grow in wisdom. I want you to grow in wisdom. Verse nine again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Notice this, with knowledge. It's part of the same sentence. It's not a new thought. I want you to grow in love, but I want you to grow in love with knowledge and all discernment. Listen to me. I cannot grow in God's love if I'm not growing in God's word. Why? Because agape love is the moral standard of God's love. That God is a God of morals. That God defines things and tells us how we are to live our lives. And let me tell you what discernment is, okay? I want you to grow in all discernment is what Paul is saying. Discernment is the ability to approve what God approves and reject what God rejects. To know the difference between right and wrong, but then to have the conviction to actually walk in what's right. And let me tell you why we need this. Because in our culture today, we do a lot of things in the name of love that really isn't love. And there's so much confusion, even for Christians. Well, aren't we supposed to love everybody? Listen, you can love everybody without accepting everything. People go, Christians aren't loving, which is heresy. We love enough to say what's true. To say what's true. 
not just for other people, please hear this, but so that you and I can be changed by the love of God that is rooted in the truth of God where I take my life, please hear this, and I measure it against the gospel. I measure it against the word of God. And when it points out something in me that God rejects, then I need to reject it. So often, this is what the church is doing. They're accepting what God rejects. And we do it in the name of love. And Paul would go, but that's not love. The most loving thing we can do is to allow the word of God to transform us from the inside out, amen? Where I don't just know a bunch of knowledge about God, but it's his love working in my life and giving me the ability to have wisdom so that I can think differently than I would normally think. This is so important because so many Christians, they're thinking like the world in the name of love. And we're leading people astray because we don't want to say hard things. Listen, we can't redefine marriage. God created marriage. And it's perfect the way it is. People are confused. And boys are saying they're girls and girls are saying they're boys. And it's because they don't know who they are and they don't know who they are because they don't know whose they are and they don't know whose they are. Listen to me, because the church isn't standing in love with truth. The most unloving thing we could do is to allow people to walk towards fire and not tell them. No, we love more than that. I've got discernment that's not right, but not just for other people, church. First, for me. There's stuff in my life. God, you need to change. Have your way in me, amen? So what does wisdom enable us to have? Wisdom enables us to think like Jesus. God's love enables us to what? Act like Jesus, but God's wisdom enables us to think like Jesus. Here's the third thing that Paul wants us to grow in. Paul wants us to grow in holiness. The character of God, let's read it all together. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you might be able to prove what is excellent and so be pure. How do, how do we become pure? When his love changes how we act, when his, when his wisdom changes how we think, then we experience his purity and we become blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and it's all to the glory of God. See, the word, the word pure, it means holy. And if you really break that word down, it means this, to be unmixed. Not of God and of the world. To be unmixed. Not to be flesh and spirit. Led by the flesh and led by the spirit. No, unmixed. Not just to be spirit, but to be truth. Amen? Both. Paul goes, I want you to experience the holiness of God. 
so that you can be, notice the word, blameless. Where's Paul? Where's Paul? He is being blamed for breaking the law. And even though he's innocent, in the eyes of the law, he's guilty. But he knows because of Jesus, he can be blameless before Christ because God is faithful to his process. Amen? He's faithful to his process. I'm almost done. We've all heard this. Be in the world, not of the world. The problem with that is our focus is the world. Let me give you a different way to say it. Here's what Paul is saying. You're in the world, but you are of Jesus. Jesus becomes my focus in everything. Whether I'm in prison or I'm on the mountain, Jesus, you're my focus. Whether I'm dealing with temptation or I'm just soaring in my faith, regardless of season, Jesus, yeah, I might be living in this broken world, but I am of you. I am of you. So what does God's holiness do? Write this last thing down. God's holiness enables us to become like Jesus. Come on, his love enables us to act like Jesus. His wisdom enables us to think like Jesus. But his holiness enables us to become like Jesus. Listen to me, not just for me, so that my life can tell a lost world who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Come on, let's give God praise for his word. So the question remains, will I, in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, will I fully follow Jesus by joyfully obeying his example? I think the best place to start right now in response is just in an attitude and posture of prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of you, you know about Jesus and you don't know him personally. And I want you to know this, that God wants a relationship with you. That when God the Father sent Jesus to get on a cross and die, shed his blood, he did that for you. And the way we get saved, the Bible tells us, is that if we confess with our mouth that Christ is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. See, to confess him as Lord means this, to repent. God, I have made a mess of my life. I have rebelled against you, a holy God, and I need you. I can't do this without you. So I repent of my sin, and I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the grave. And because he was raised from the grave, I can be raised from the grave. And I can have new life. All we have to do is humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I don't surrender a moment. I surrender my life. Take all of me. 
take all of me. I give you everything. For everybody else in the room and joining us online, maybe you're in Christ, but the truth is you've been looking more like the world. And this is the moment for you to just come back to him. Don't wait for God. He's already made a way. It's called grace. And all he says is just come. Just come. And I'll restore what's broken. I'll fill you with peace. For all of us, we choose today in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We will fully follow you, Jesus by joyfully obeying your example. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name and everybody shout it out. Come on, will you jump to your feet and give Jesus the best praise that you've given him all morning? Come on, give him good praise, church. If you're thankful that he's faithful to complete the good work that he started, thank you, God.